Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, my name's Jess Phillips and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast... I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Sean Keaveney is a broadcaster who presented the afternoon show on BBC Radio 6 Music. He's presented radio shows for XFM and BBC Radio 2 and currently hosts The Lineup, a podcast where he invites guests to share their dream festival lineup. And today I'm excited to talk to him about the letters he would send to three people who mean the world to him. So before we start, Sean, I'm going to put a warning on this, although I think that you will be done by the time this happens, that my son has acoustic drum lessons from the house where I am recording i am in the conservatory and i'm hoping it doesn't start raining in birmingham because that is even noisier than the drum lessons but should you hear what sounds like the drum beats of smells like teen spirit then that is my son having a drum lesson i love that well number one you can see just over here you've got my electric drums here You see, I wish that I had not reneged on the constant desire for an acoustic drum kit. We had an electric drum kit and all I could hear was the bass drum thumping from upstairs. And now I can hear everything. It is so loud. How old is he? He's 13. Yeah, so my oldest is 13. He's a drummer. Some of the greatest drummers of all time, you'll know this, come from the West Midlands, like John Bonham and people like that. Exactly. So, I mean, it's in his blood. So he's got it in his blood. Yeah. And he definitely wants to basically be like a rogue, very rock and roll drummer. He wants to smash it up, basically. But he's also, I didn't know this before he had an acoustic drum kit. He's actually really good at it. And that is a relief that he's really good at it because I have to listen to it now. So <laughs> that is a total relief that when he was playing, I was like, oh my God, he can actually play the drums. I thought he was just messing about. Just venting spleen, yeah. Yeah, but it turns out not so much. Anyway, we'll move on to the... I felt like I should put that disclaimer in for the inevitable sound of drumming that will go on. So this podcast is all about letter writing. Are you much of a letter writer or were you? Obviously, you live in 2022 where nobody writes letters anymore apart from, it turns out, politicians. And the Queen. And the Queen. I'm still waiting for my... I mean, obviously, I don't know who... If I do make it to 100, which I'm exactly 50 years old in in five months' time, so... It's not likely, I don't think, with my lifestyle. <laughs> I'm just wondering who it would who it would be who I would get the telegram from in, in 50 years' time. They'll probably just send a text or something by then. But in 50 years, you're right, because Charles is like 75, so he's going to have to be 125 for it still to be him. <laughs> now, Prince William is the exact same age as me. He was in my school year. So in 50 years' time, he'll still be 90. So, I mean, they're long livers, aren't they, the royals? So it might be Prince William. It might be William, you get your... Yeah, it probably will be him. So I'll look forward to that. I do enjoy and have enjoyed writing letters over the years. You know, I've definitely had periods of my life where I've really enjoyed it. In the analogue days, Jess, um, there were a few other ways of communicating with the other villagers. I remember once, like, because I'm, I'm a lapsed Catholic, you know, and I was dragged, I was dragged up as a, as a Catholic. And before I, 
I lost my faith completely. We did a few uh, Sharabang trips to Lourdes back when I was like a teenager, when I was in bands and stuff. And and it was great, actually. It was, it was a- I've been to Lourdes and that is... It's crackers. It's a crackers place, isn't it? Well, it's like a sort of theme park for Catholicism, isn't it? It's the best tat in the world. I, <laughs> I, there is nowhere in the world with better tat than Lord. Like really <laughs> suggestive Virgin, Ma- like Virgin Mary Talc for a start off. I mean, what more could you want? <laughs> no, uh, Virgin Mary Talc, but Virgin Mary quite sort of seductive in yeah. this bottle of talc that you buy. Like quite quite uh, a decolletage on her. Yeah, oh, absolutely. She's a very suggestive virgin. Is she a virgin? (laughs) And like um, sacred heart soap. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. We we remember all that. We I'm sure that we I can't remember now if we made it up for a joke or if we saw, you know, our lady ninja stars. Like throwing stars. I can't remember if it was real or we made it up, but it was like it was so. You're right. That is almost certainly true. Yeah, this, there was that. There was that level of ridiculousness. But we used to go. We went for a couple of years. We went on the trot. We were like the the band. You know, we used to play the guitars and stuff. This is my body broken for you. You know, we were all that, and um, we loved it. And, and we used to make fast friends. And uh, you get an hour at the end of the day to like hit the bars in Lourdes, and you'd, you'd drink like four bottles of Pelforth and get smashed and try and get off with somebody. That's what you were really there for. And then you'd forge these relationships and friendships. And and so we'd always write to each other. You know, some of the some of the the Lourdes guys, the Lourdes gang. The Lord's Gang. I mean, it's, I'm making myself sound so, you know. This is not where I was expecting this to go. I've got a brilliant Lord's story, though. My mate's nan's church, they raised, like, because obviously in, in Birmingham, not dissimilar to where you're from, pretty much everybody's a bit Irish. So, like, all the schools in my constituency, while now have almost no Catholics in them, are all Catholic schools. My mate's nan's church, they'd raise money because her granddad wasn't very well and they'd raise money for a sharabang to go to Lord's and take him because he was dying of cancer. And, I mean, he died. I'm afraid to say that the Lord's treatment didn't work. But they raised this money and she went over, the nan went over with the granddad. And whilst she, he was in the water, she went into the water with him and somebody dropped a wheelchair on her leg and she broke her leg at Lord's. So she went to Lord's. <laughs> Oh, came back with an injury. The opposite of what is meant to happen. Oh, my God. Lord, why have you forsaken me? I never thought that I was going to get to tell my Lord's story and you have given me the perfect opportunity. The idea that you go for, for the Lord's protection and you end up coming back with a broken leg is just too too ironic, isn't it? <laughs> so I, mean, it was, I, I loved it, though, actually. I, I loved all that. and You know, and the, but I do sort of remember actually accidentally renouncing my faith one night there you know because they used to pass a candle round and it was like what what have we learned today you know what what's the most amazing thing that's happened to you today and I just couldn't hold it back I was like I just don't really feel like I believe in God anymore didn't go down very well Jess but anyway that's that's where some of my letter writing happened and I've got another quick story for you about letters which is I mean obviously I started to get obsessed with music when I was about 14 and again, this is a story that doesn't cast me in a very sexy or cool light, but one of my favourite bands of all time was, and probably still is, Dire Straits, right? Love them. And I was such a devotee that I wrote a fan letter to Mark Knopfler, right? And it was just, you know, at the bottom of their album's bands, they have, like, fan club address. So I sent it to, to that. And, like, nothing happened. And then, like, 18 months later, the letter got sent back with a stamp on saying, not at this address. And I was a bit gutted. I was like, rubbish. But, but, this is the exciting denouement of the story. I eventually got to interview Mark Knopfler uh, about six years ago. And m- my mother, who is the ultimate custodian of all things Keevney, still had the letter. And I took it to him and I gave him the letter and he read the letter in front of me. And he was lacrimose, Jess. I, I, I almost made him cry because he was like, I just can't believe that. That's so beautiful. What a brilliant thing. So there you go. You know, the power of the letter at 30 years on. 
Well, you think that hasn't cast you in a cool light. I mean, my dad loved Dire Straits, as do I. And I fancied a boy called Ben Rosenberg, who is like a really good friend of my husband's now, so and a good friend of mine. <laughs> but I fancied him so much, and I, I can't. I think that the main reason was was that he only had one tape in his car, his like Nova that he'd pick us up from school in, and it was just a single of Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits. And I just think that somehow playing it over and over and over again while he drove us around uh, we were smoking fags just like the hypnotic effect of making me fall in love with Ben Rosenberg to Dire Straits Romeo and Juliet which I believe to be one of the greatest songs ever written it is without question beautiful really lovely and I think I probably said that in the letter you know the dice was loaded from the start I think about it often (laughs) that time in a Vauxhall Nova great times lot of lot of romantic things have happened in the back of Vauxhall Novas over the years Right then, so I have asked you to think of three different people that you would want to write a letter to. And the first one is like just the person who means the world to you. So who would that be? When I agreed to this podcast, Jess, I don't think I realised the enormity of the task at all. It's a lot, isn't it? Because you, you, what essentially you're, you, you, you're trying to do is you're trying to zero in on perhaps three people in uh, your entire existence who sort of mean the, the most to you. And that, that then precludes every other person who means a lot to you, doesn't it? Yeah. It does mean you hate those people if you haven't picked them. <laughs> I can I only mean, pray that those people don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I mean, that they are right to think that it means you do not love them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks very much, Sean. It meant, all those years meant nothing. But, you know, I mean, before I'm going to precursor this with what would you call it, like a sort of um, a, a caveat uh, that I, I, I could have chosen for the person that I love so much. Obviously, my dad is right up there. He's my hero. He's the reason that I do the job that I do. He's the funniest man that I've ever met, without question. Any number of my uncles and aunties, most of whom are still with us, the aforementioned Uncle Funky Frank, our Martin, uh, who's only two years older than me, he's more like my brother, our Paul who got me into music, Uncle Ken, Pink Floyd head, you know, all the all the aunties, you know, all the unconditional love, um, some of my best friends. I could have chosen any of them to, to write this letter to, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to choose my mum. Oh, I'm glad you chose your mum. Although I think that your whole patter and your whole, the whole thing, it's so obvious you come from a family with lots of aunties and uncles and... And that sort of family where your uncle is only a bit older than you. Like, that's my family's like that. You've got people, and my husband's family, like, where actually the kids are closer in age to the aunts and uncles because you've done this as well, I see. You've had a big gap in your children. I don't know why you've done that. That seems like madness to me, but... No wonder um, I've got a star, is it, Jess? (laughs) It's no wonder. Fancy that. You were out the other side, my friend. I know. I was so close. I had my fingers on the other side of the ravine and everything. I mean, I don't, I don't have any interaction with my children anymore. <laughs> you an idiot. Why would you go back to the... I know, I'm sure that your daughter is lovely. She better be worth it, you know, is all I can say. <laughs> and, and, and I guess that brings me on to why it's my mum, really, because... I think she's the bit, a bit of the unsung hero in the piece, in a sense, you know. Because I, I often... We see each other as much as we can. I mean, I live in London now, and I have done for about 20 years. In fact, I've lived down south or away for about 25 years. To leave the nest, for me, was an, an enormous deal, you know what I mean? In, in 1997, when I did it, I, I used to write radio adverts for... Um, for radio stations uh, down south. The place to be heading is Reading Bedding. Reading Bedding, just off the A4. Um, that was me, you know, I used to do all that stuff. But it was a big deal. We still tend to all stick together up north. And when I when I go up north with my kids and, and my wife and stuff, most people are still, still there, you know, in their community. And I, I feel sad a lot of the time that I'm not part of that community in, in, a, in a visceral, literal way. So I, t- I chat to my mum a lot and I see her as much as I can, but I don't see her as much as I'd like. And she's just, every, everybody's mum's the greatest, but mine really is the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> she's the actual one. She is the capo di tutti, you know. And I've got a little bit of apology to make to my mother as well, because like one of the last times that... I, I was asked about her in a sort of public realm was years ago I did a, a Ready Steady Cook 
celebrity in inverted commas special and it was me and Huey Morgan and I was Green Peppers and he was Red Tomatoes and he won and Ainsley was asking me loads of questions about oh so what was it like you know when you were coming up in you know when you were younger what uh, what's your mother what's your, where, who was the cook and you know what kind of things did you eat and I accidentally used the phrase that I said to my mum was she was great you know she used to give us great sustenance and we, we loved we loved this dish and that dish but, uh, but I used the phrase rudimentary chef and I've never been allowed to forget it because everyone's like, oh yeah, rudimentary rudimentary <laughs> chef, am I? Yeah, yeah, what does that mean? And, <laughs> and it didn't go down well. And I just I partially want to use this as an opportunity to make good on that. So is your mum an excellent chef? She's amazing. She's incredible. You know, it's soul food, heart and soul food. And sometimes it'll give you heartburn, you know, because you eat too much of it too fast. But she, you know what I mean? Like in that, the way that mums, mums are, my mum is, she radiates this kind of, unbelievably sort of beatific sort of endlessly patient love and my dad they're, they're just they're just sort of always there they're always supportive and it's it almost I almost have to pinch myself sometimes because I've never once sometimes friends talk to me about their situations and their parents and the struggles that they have and maybe sometimes they've got passive aggressive relationships with the parents or the, the mum's this or the dad's that and I, I can't really relate because I've been so lucky, you know what I mean? But I guess I don't always get the chance to say it out loud to, to mum, you know, because you, you're just too busy going, oh, well, we might come up next weekend. And can you make the bed up for us? You know, can you get some of that veggie mints? You know, you're not really talking about the heart and soul stuff. And that's why I'd like to put it in a letter. Yeah, and tell her how much she means to you. There is an element of calling your mum a rudimentary chef and that you're talking to her about logistics. That is very classic of how mothers, and not just mothers, fathers as well, but parents, we almost take for granted in in that they're just there and when you need them, they'll be there and lots of people don't have that. But the sort of quiet, just looking up from the paper in a moment of support or not ever expecting any fanfare, actually, I think is what makes them perfect. My my mum and dad don't expect, well, my mum died many years ago, but... Yeah, they don't expect any particular fanfare. They wouldn't be happy for to be called a rudimentary chef, though. No, I've learned that very much to my, you know, sort of cost. I mean, and just to bring it to, to letters and stuff, way back when, we're talking nearly 30 years ago, and I was at college and stuff, and I'd first sort of blown the nest. And my mum, you know, she worries so much. She doesn't get much sleep at night. She worries so much about everybody still after all these years. And she'd fret and fret about, you know, and she'd probably be quite right to because I was eating very badly and uh, drinking too much and uh, getting really stressed out like kids do. And I remember one particular time I'd written to her from from college. It might have actually not been a letter. It might have been like a, a birthday card or something. And uh, when, I, when I rang her up the next time, she said, are you all right? And I said, uh, yeah. Why? She said, well, when you sent that, card your writing was really small and sort of it you know it, it tailed off a little bit and it, I just I felt I felt through that that you, you what you're struggling with and she could tell by the way I was writing that I was going through stuff that I wasn't talking to her about so that's the level the Jedi level of parenting that's going on with with mums and dads but then do you think as a parent like I think this about my mum I think she was like a fucking angel and then I think I mean, my children are maybe too young to think this about me, but like, I definitely am not on a par with how good my parents were. I'm nowhere. My husband definitely is his cracking dad, and he puts actually down his brilliant cooking skills to basically getting stoned and watching a lot of Ready Steady Cook for many years. So, um, you know, he he claims that's where he learned all his cooking skills, but. Um, the way I perceive my parents now as an adult, I, I just cannot imagine my children perceiving me like yeah. that. I wonder if they'll still be talking to me in, in, in five years' time, you know what I mean? It, there's some real parenting 101 stuff that I've not hit the mark on at all. I'm, ju- I, I'm just hoping that I'm one of those parents that gets better when they get older. <laughs> but maybe everybody thinks this like about their parents. Maybe like, you know we will be that sort of calm making up the bed when they come at the weekend and like and just a sort of calm presence and being able to tell when they're a bit stressed out especially when they're adults maybe we can we can relate to them better when they're adults i don't know but i just i really hope 
that one day I will be as good. I hope my kids feel the way I feel about my parents. I really hope that. I completely agree. I worry. In a way, that's a good thing, isn't it? If you're worrying about your parenting, you're probably not doing too bad because you, you're not that neglectful because you're worried about it. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm the same as you. I'm hoping that I eventually pull, pass muster, you know. It's got to pay off at some point. God, also, I obviously want them to pay me back as well because, I mean, they've screwed my back. They've done some dreadful things to me. They're, I mean, essentially at, at points of ruin my life. I'm feeling like I'm getting it back now. I'd love to see your letter to your kids and that's the sign-off. You've my back up. <laughs> My pelvic yeah. floor is not what it used to be. You know, my bank account's destroyed. One of mine was £10.10. 10 ounces. My pelvic oh floor my is non-existent. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so. I'll try not to make you laugh then. <laughs> it's just, you know, one day I'll get the tenor lady gig. <laughs> um, no doubts about it. I mean, I am afraid to say I still live in this environment exactly as you're describing. We all live three streets. So it's like bread. We all live three streets away from each other and... We're all me and, like, you know, my mates and stuff and my family, we all, apart from one who left the nest and went to live in a different country, we all just live, like, in each other's pockets. And I have to say, I just think, in London, that seems, like, beyond the realms to people. Like, it's not a culture. Like, people don't... I mean, it sounds really, really cliche. People don't even know their neighbours. But, like, nobody goes around to each other's houses. Like, that's all we do. We don't, like, there's much more of a culture of drinking in pubs after work and things in London. Whereas, you know, we just sit around each other's houses all the time. Oh, that must be great, though. I mean, and I I do feel like a a big undertow of sadness whenever I do go home and then I have to come back down because I miss all that. But then equally, when I imagine my gran in her later years and I ring her up sometimes and we'd have a chat i know that what she was imagining when she thought about my life was like the opening credits to apprentice you know like the helicopter <laughs> going over the city and you know like you know alan sugar's there pointing at people in the in the bread shop and stuff like that and i think that's what she thought that my life was like when in fact i've got quite lucky really i've, I've got a bit of that neighbor's style i live in a cul-de-sac and we've got great neighbors and it's been really great we all bond and we all you know we have like a little team of uh you know sort of carol singers every christmas and we all pop around <laughs> to each other's house and have a drink so i feel like i've landed on my feet there but it will never quite be what we had up north you know but at least i can tap back into it every few months you know yeah also the vernacular this the way you speak with people who are from the same place as you is completely different to how uh, I mean and it isn't even that you shift channels when you're talking to different people because everybody does that that's just normal it's just more that like I I can start in the middle of a conversation it's just just easier like you know like I don't need I don't need to give you the context yeah yeah yeah. you've got it because you know what I'm talking about and so that's just it's just easier it's just like it's all relaxing it's more relaxing to talk to the people who understand your vernacular like get your st- the things you're saying and the cultural reference points that's so lovely isn't it because it's really hard otherwise it's so lovely so i get obviously i come and go every week and when i go through the chilterns on the train literally i can feel my shoulders dropping down i can fe- i can feel it happening and like new street station i mean it's better than it was but it's like it's not that special but to me it's like it, i feel like i'm in a film in a coming of age story every time i come up the escalator and i'm back at newt street station i'm like that woo and i'll make like videos <laughs> of me in a cab going home as if i don't do it every yeah, week yeah. and it's funny that that is the way like i feel about it like and i think that that is coming you know coming from a close-knit community that is and also obviously when i'm in westminster i have to put up with people like boris johnson oh stop <laughs> and I mean, there aren't many twats like that round while I, I live. <laughs> Oh my god, it must be so restorative. You you've got to like sort of charge your battery back up with the West Midlandsiness, haven't you? And then go so you can go down and take this bullshit again for another week. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like that. You have to constantly recharge. You know, that's what mums are though, I think. Going back to your mum, I think that it is just like you plug into them and I would say I I do have this with my children and sometimes it feels like a resource base like money or whatever but my children just need to plug into me for a little bit sometimes and recharge and that when they were little that used to be like give you cuddles and make sure you're there when they're hurt and things but now as they get older it's much more like how I perceive the recharging with my parents and that is just like you know the sort of 
just like, oh, you're, you're always there. There is going to be somebody who's always there. And so that's okay. I'm safe. I'm safe again now because I remember that there's somebody who's always there. Well, that's it. I know. I'm sorry to hear you lost your mum. I suppose that never gets better in a sense, does it? Yeah, it gets easier with time. But the reality is, is it doesn't matter how old you are. I was 29 when my mum died, but it doesn't matter. Like, it's still your mum, isn't it? Like, and I remember my mum's mum dying when she was in her 90s. And my mum being like, it doesn't matter that you think she was old and she had a good life. That means nothing to me. She was my mum. Like, that doesn't go away. She was my mum and it doesn't matter, like, you know... Still, like, losing your mum is is shitty. But she gave me a library of inspiration to uh, continue on with. Um, and often, also, the good there is a good thing about having a dead parent is that I can attribute loads of things to her that I want to say that maybe she did say or didn't say, but I definitely paste a lot of stuff onto her that she almost certainly never said. It's very much as my mother used to say, fuck them. Yeah, exactly. I do that all the time. And I think, am I making this up? I can't fucking remember. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, but people are like, oh, well, if her dead mom said it, yeah. it must be what They're not going to challenge you on it, are they? <laughs> They're going to challenge you on dead mom <laughs> sayings. Come on. So how would you sign off a letter to your mum? Oh, I've not written anything down, ironically. I would probably just say, it's one thing to have unconditional love from somebody but to just have unfailing kindness and like you've just said just this constant support is absolutely invaluable it's the cornerstone of everything that I've been able to make with my life really so I just wanted to thank you for all of that basically and also P.S. you are not a rudimentary cook you're an amazing cook So the second person I asked you to think about is somebody who's no longer with you. So that doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who's died, but somebody you don't necessarily see anymore. So who would that be? Right. Well, again, uh, caveat, uh, could have been any number of people who were very important to me who have passed away. I mean, again, I've got to say, and this look ain't going to last forever, but like, and I know I don't look nearly 50, but I am, right? Uh, before you start, oh God, I thought he was 42. Um, uh, but you know, I've I've not I've been very lucky in, in my life so far. Like we've not we've I've not lost uh, lots and lots of people that have been very dear to me. You know, my grandparents have recently passed away and stuff, and they were amazing, inspirational people. And we lived next door to them for a lot of years, and just down the road. And you know, I mean, I could easily have chosen any of my grandparents, for instance, or some friends who. Who've, who've passed along the way but for the purposes of the because it's a podcast as well I'd like to choose somebody that people might have heard of so I'm going to actually choose somebody who I did consider a sort of colleague and verging on a friend uh, Sir Terry Wogan I'm going to mention <gasps> oh my god so I'm going to mention him he's a total legend did you ever have the pleasure of meeting Sir Terry no I don't know how I'd have coped because that was been my entire childhood. I mean, literally, Wogan every Saturday night. I mean, literally, it was... And I sort of, like, also, I feel like he had a real renaissance because, like, my dad, uh, definitely because he was sort of, like, um, sort of golf club... I'm going to say conservative, maybe with a small C or a big C. Like, my parents, even though we all watched Wogan, my very socialist, Jeremy Corbyn-esque parents were definitely, like, like oh, they're Tories. Like, and, and then, like, I felt like in his later life, he had just he just became yeah. cool, yeah. Terry Wogan. Yeah. He, he really did. So tell me about how you knew Terry. Again, uh, dumb luck, because I went from writing radio ads to doing graveyard shifts uh, on London's 104.9 XFM. I'm giving people a very quick potted history of my uh, bi- biog here. And then I got poached. I eventually got, got got as far as the BBC. And then I was doing a breakfast show, right? For, for somebody like me, who a, a radio presenter of, of those times, that was kind of the high watermark of your career, you know. That was like you've kind of made it. And I loved that. Um, but when I started, for quite some time, I would say for a good couple of years, I was... Sh- I don't. I, I was shite. You know, I wasn't very good. Um, but you are. You are for quite a long time you, before you put your ten thousand hours in. But but right at those beginning times, when it was a very rudimentary experience listening to me, 
Um, my show used to finish. We we worked in a place which is now called Wogan House, uh, but was then called Western House, just behind New uh, Broadcasting House. I, I'd sort of befriended Terry's producer, the unbelievably brilliant Alan Boyd, who actually weirdly just lives about a four minute walk away from me. You now, just a geographically interesting point. And he's hilarious in Scottish, and uh, he's not—he's not afraid of a, a Chardonnay himself, just like me and, and, and everybody else at Western House. And he'd be like, "Well, one of these days I'll bring Terry down to you, you know, if you fancy. After the show, he might pop down and say hello." And I was like, "He fucking won't do that. Why would he do that? This fucking Herbert from Lee, you know." And sure as shit, I've been doing the show about three months, I think. So it was really right, right at the beginning. I was still no idea what I was doing about. Um, 25 to 10 in the morning one Tuesday I think it was my producer was like um we've got a visitor if you're interested and uh knock knock at the window there it's it's old sir Terry Walken do you mind if I come in and in he comes with a tray of uh, I've told this story before but like it's so great like a big tray of baguettes full of bacon and some tea I thought you might I'd need a bit of sustenance to get you through to the end of the show. And then he sat down, and I, I can't but... I'm really upset because I had a CD back in those days, uh, a recording of the link that we did together. And I've lost it because I'm that kind of guy. It, it might be in the annals somewhere. Um, but it was so beautiful because he was all he was doing was... He was just... He knew that I was new. He knew that I was nervous. He knew that I was a, a, a young punk kid. And he was just utterly delightful and he was like you know and I think I said something like and, and it's funny when you listen to it because my voice is all appear like that because I'm like really nervous you know I'm like, all the adrenaline and I'm like oh, it's Terry Wogan and it's fantastic I do I probably won't have one of those baguettes because uh, I'm trying to lose a bit of weight at the moment and um <laughs> and uh, Terry goes uh ah oh, yeah, there's not a pick on you get it down you lad you need sustenance if you're going to be on the radio and all this and and that was it you know that galvanised my not only my opinion of him but like and I met him subsequently a few times and I, I was lucky enough to be in the building and, and say hello to him on his after his last show on his breakfast show and that was just like that felt like being at you know uh, just something like the World Cup final where England won or something but it was a terribly sad day but he just represents everything that's superb not only about broadcasting his, you know the communication the the radio skills that he had the fact that he just every single broadcast that he did it was just you and him he, he brought everybody together he was a community you know his togs everybody was so in love with him and he, he used to he was involved in their lives he was a you know he was a he was a beautiful character inside and out and and um and I've, ne- I've never in all the years that I've been in radio had anybody say a bad word about him or say oh he had a bad morning that morning he tore somebody a new arsehole never 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 because that just wasn't in his nature and I, I just he was an inspirational guy I think that what he did so well and funny it's funny isn't it that even though he was on the telly and I always considered him to be somebody on the telly because he was on the telly when I was ki- a kid um, and he did like ch- all the children in need stuff as well didn't he um, but um it was it you you felt like he loved being on the radio and like that was his actual like like his spiritual home um all apart from i'm going to say the greatest thing he ever did and the reason why people can get the away with taking the taking the piss out of something uh, i think is if you do it with generosity of spirit you can you can say almost anything you like if you do it generously and and, and political satirists who care about politics like everything that they say is funnier and even when it's caustic about you you take it in the meaning that it was intended because they're enthusiastic for the thing that you care about and he had that generosity of spirit and the Eurovision Song Contest whilst I love Graham Norton there is nobody (laughs) ever who will ever compare with the commentary and when you could put it on the subtitles and it would just slowly but surely not be able to keep up with everything that Terry Wogan was saying on the Eurovision Song Contest and 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 his his blatant bias towards Ireland uh, it just even though he is there to talk to the UK audience it just it was it second to none in the sort of slights against uh, the acts 
that were done with such generosity of spirit that it wasn't mean, it wasn't nasty, it was it was intended with love. Um, it just he was so perfect at it, and it is. I think Graham Norton is is absolutely brilliant at it, but Terry Wogan was an absolute master and i think that that's generosity is that sort of lovely generous spirit that that allowed that to be the case i couldn't agree more i can't i wish i could remember i should have been, i should have been more prepared and i should have come with some of his eurovision quotes i kind of forgotten about that there's a great channel 5 documentary actually which is probably still up on the service about him it went out just after christmas that people should watch but yeah and you know there's a great shot of him at eurovision where you know one of the cameras goes up to the box that he's in and he's just like he's holding a bo- half bottle of wine up like that I think the sun's over the yard arm now it's time and of course you know you can just tell him slowly getting slightly more sozzled as the evening wears on and he's getting a bit more verbose and a bit more silly but you're right it's that it's because he had a heart of bloody gold that he ultimately he couldn't he, he, yeah he, you could always tell that he, he, he was never doing he was never punching down he was never too waspish he was just it was all from a, a place of love and that's he got away with so much cheeky stuff and all the Janet and John and oh god yeah I mean absolutely you can take the I mean where I mean I'm sure it's the same where you come from where I I mean as a, as a quote from my husband if I call you a cunt that means I like you um like, <laughs> I hope that stays uh, in because like, that's a beauty. That can't, that can't come out. Essentially, <laughs> my dad is basically like you know he raised us to be like I'm only really I'm only really mean about the people I really truly love. Like we like you know taking the piss out of people is a, a mark of love, um, and and it's it's like you're on a level. That's what when you say you didn't punch down, it's like we're on a level to take the piss out of each other on an unequal terms. Um, and th- and that's what we'll do. And that was what was so lovely is that you felt like, especially the radio show, it just always felt like it was you and him and you were on a level and you were just listening to it. Even though it definitely wasn't aimed at the sort of demographic I was part of, I, you know, you'd still... I loved it about Terry that he would, he literally was, that people would say what was his, you know, prep. He didn't do it. His prep was being Terry for all those years and starting in Irish television and Irish radio and being whatever he was like a newsreader type guy and then becoming a person he, he he clocked up all those hours of, 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 of brilliance and then he got to the point in his life where he could arrive five minutes before his show Alan would give him a massive wadge of emails like that and that'd be him off he'd go just fucking freestyling all the way and that's that's great what a gift what a gift, yeah. I like that. The preparation he did was being Terry Wogan for that many years. <laughs> so I mean, you just you just put you put in the legwork there, man. That's his ten thousand hours. <laughs> just being a nice man who brings bacon sandwiches. So, um how would you sign up a letter to Terry? I'd probably say I would just want to make the obvious point that not just me as a broadcaster, but generations of broadcasters simply wouldn't be doing the job or doing the job to the level that they could attain if it wasn't for his inspiration and also thanks for the bacon butties we'll be back to hear sean's final letter after a short break in the meantime why not check out another podcast from the team behind yours sincerely hello i'm dave berry and i am fascinated by my next door neighbor His name is Neil Srinivasan, and he's a leading cardiologist. Since I moved to this particular part of London, Neil and I have started to become friends. Our polite greetings over the fence turned into garden barbecues and drinks down the local pub. But with unfettered access to someone with a job that is so far removed from my own, I'm desperate to find out more about his industry, one that is quite literally a matter of life and death. In Doctor Next Door, I'll be doing my utmost to learn all about Neil as a medical professional, but also Neil as a person. Because, believe it or not, even doctors have lives outside of the operating theatre. But this podcast isn't just here to feed my own curiosities. I want you to be involved in these conversations too. I can't wait to get into this, so make sure you subscribe or follow Doctor Next Door from wherever you usually get your podcasts. Oh, hang on a second. That must be the doctor next door now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Right, so the final letter is somebody who you would want to say something to who doesn't know what an effect they've had on your life. This is a good one, this. Yes. And again, it caused me a couple of sleepless nights. Tossing and a turn and my wife going, what the fuck's the matter with you? I must mention my wife at this juncture because she's... Yeah, I was going to say, I presume you like your wife. She's awesome. She's the best. And she puts up with a lot. If it weren't for her, I'd I'd probably be living in a lean-to, I would have thought by now. I write her letters, though, often, you know, little letters... Uh, just had to leave on the kitchen island you know I love you um, you know or things like can you get Jaffa cakes when you go to the supermarket you know one or the other um, so she's not going to be included in this I've, I've warned her about that but this one who somebody wouldn't know I've made a choice which is interesting so I'm going to mention my one of my old mates and I mean that in both senses of the word uh, John Doherty JD and if he ever heard this he would he would drop his pint he'd be like you are so let me just give you a quick little bit of background so my first ever girlfriend Claire so we started going out over 30 years ago and very very quickly her dad JD became part of our big friend circle so we were just late teenagers in our early 20s we this bunch of people are still together incidentally we, we we're still in regular contact and we go to the pub whenever we can it's a love that lasts forever, Jess. But, you know, we, we sort of incorporated John into our drinking circle because at that time, John, he'd lost his wife, he'd lost Claire's mum to cancer. He needed some sort of emotional sustenance, I think. And, and, and also, he was just a cool guy and we loved him. So we wanted him around all the time. And so John became one of our friends, you know. He would have been in his mid-40s and we would have been in our late teens early 20s so you know we'd nip to the eagle and orc or somewhere like that and smash a few pints and it would probably look weird to some people people would be like why are you bringing your dad out and you're like it's jd within about half a mile people would understand why john was there because he's always the funniest guy in the room the the best the the, just the you know the wisest loveliest fella but the the reason that i'm putting him in here is because when i've finished at uni I went through a, a pretty extended wilderness period where I didn't know what the fuck I was doing with my life. I mean, I've had a few 
thank God for in, in back back in those days. You remember? I, I don't know if you remember this, Jess, but there was a time when we had a, a working welfare and healthcare system in this country, and it was, you know, people who had uh, sufficient benefits. And I took some of those benefits for quite some time because I was I, I was a citizens' advice bureau advisor for a few months, which was one of the most disastrous choices I ever made. Anybody who knows me just thinks. Why would anybody come to you for administrative advice on anything, benefits or healthcare? You probably have killed nine people. So I didn't do that for long. But, you know, there was there was this period where I didn't know what I was doing and I was floating around and I tried different jobs and I wasn't getting anywhere. And my friends were doing a lot better than me and were getting jobs and, you know, getting into different things and getting into becoming teachers and things. And I was really losing my way and uh, not be, not able to find my path for a long time. And I wanted to be a musician, and I knew I was good at something, but I wasn't sure what it was, you know what I mean? And um, it was a real tricky time. And my parents are always there and always helpful and always fantastic without question. But, you know, sometimes you need somebody who's not a parent, I think, to talk to about these things. And on many events, many, many times during this period, if we were out having a few drinks, it would always be John who was always the voice and I still remember it to this day, even though I've got a very hazy memory in general. You know, he was so supportive at all times. You and I, I have to use a bit of blue language if I'm ever doing an impression of John because he's. I swear. mean, I think I've I've been there already. <laughs> you actually, you've leave it in. you've totally broken the seal. <laughs> if we're leaving that in, we can go fucking anywhere. <laughs> but you know, it would be it would always be like you fuck you are you you're fucking great, mate. You you are the most talented fucker I have ever met in my life you're gonna be fine and I, and I couldn't really take it on couldn't really believe it didn't really know what he was talking about I didn't see what he saw in me at all for a long long time but he was always there and he always believed and he always used to tell me that eventually that sort of came to fruition and it was a lot to do with John when I look back on it he was one of those people that gave me the the belief system you know and so that that's why he's the guy who I would definitely write a letter to to say thanks he's towards the Kuiper belt of our solar system at the moment because he's at 75 76 now so he doesn't he doesn't come out as often but he still pops up occasionally and his uh, his son Damien and Kath and Claude you know the whole family we're all still so we, we do all still see each other just not as much as we would like to but but yeah th- this being the year of my big five O. He's going to have to be at the top of the table somewhere. We're going to have to, you know, get have a few stellars and have a few chats about where the fuck we found ourselves in this weird old world. Are you going to you know? go like? Are you going to go big like? Because you're going to be fifty, and that is old. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, my my husband is constantly like, "You are old." He described me as being in a COVID risk group this morning. I'm only forty, <laughs> um, and he was just like, "But he very much come." I mean, it, this is his uh, his class and his culture is that he thinks that people living to sixty is like ancient. Like he's like. I mean, we're really old now, Jess. And like, but I mean, you're 50. I mean, so that's, that's pretty old. Are you going to make like a proper year of it and go and like revisit like loads of things from your life and things? That's what you should I do. I might, I might go and knock on the door of my old grand's house and see if I can have a look at the lean-to. Because uh, that's a bit of inspiration you've given me. I've not thought to do that. I hope that. the mincer is still on the wall. <laughs> you know, a metal mincer. What, 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 you don't see those anymore. People don't have metal mincers. I love that. I'm going to do a make. I'm going to pitch a Channel Five program. Sean knocks on the doors of all the houses that his, <laughs> his relatives used to live in, and I just I just pootle around for five minutes looking at shit. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I've, I've got very little energy left. I've finally arrived at that point in my life where. I'm I'm a bit fucked, really, and and I suppose that's partially explained by the fact that I also have a two-year-old, like some kind of melon, as you've already pointed out. But you know, so whether it will be uh, all guns blazing, three-day piss-up somewhere in a Tuscan villa, can't afford it, or or maybe I'll just book myself two hours in an oxygen tent instead. Yeah, maybe. I just want to tell you that when I'm fifty, my youngest child will be twenty-three oh, years old. Hell. <laughs> I finished having my children at the age of 26. Oh, what? I'm, I'm, I'm winning at life, my friend. I'm 20 years behind you. <laughs> they, and they say this, they come up with this bullshit all the time, don't we, Jess? Well, you know, don't worry about it because kids make you younger. No, they fucking don't. That's a lie. No, they don't. Look at me. Look at the state of me. 
I'm falling apart, mate. But I have got to try and get my dander up and do something special for the 50th because I, I ever since I was like five, my mum once phoned me on the stairs with my hand up my jumper and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just checking my heart's still going. So that's the kind of kid I was, and that, like a fatalist terrified of death since I was five. You know, that's 45 years of it. So it's not getting any easier the closer I get to the you know the event horizon of life so but so that means that with every birthday there's something if you're still alive you've got to get you've got to get stuck in haven't you yeah celebrate it yeah absolutely so uh jd how would you sign off a letter uh, to him which i i think you should definitely write especially if it would shock him yeah okay yeah you're right actually i should do this now so i would say something like and i'm going to quote him and it won't mean anything to anybody else but any of my friends who listen will die laughing because he used to get drunk and say the, the most hilarious things that we you know just mad and so i will probably sign off by saying you genuinely got me through some of the darkest moments in my life and one of the reasons that i've made anything out of my talents is because of you so I want to thank you for that I look I like your style JD you're a fucking stylist because that that is a direct quote from JD he did say that to me once after a lock-in in Loughborough in this pub called the Swan he was absolutely smashed and we nobody knew what he meant I think I'd said something funny anyway I like your style Keevney you're a fucking stylist and it, it just made us all laugh so that was what I'd sign off with Right, well, uh, I'm sorry that it was torturous. I mean, have you ever been on Desert Island Discs? How are you going to cope? How are you going to cope? I don't know. I don't, I'm going to I'm going to get embarrassed when I have to turn down the OBE and I'm going to get embarrassed when I have to do Desert Island Discs, but it's all in the future, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I shall listen to you going like, I really wanted to pick this one, but actually I've got to pick this one. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> it's going to be torture for somebody like you. I mean, obviously I'm expecting Romeo and Juliet by uh, Dire Straits. That's got to be it. It's got to be in there. It's my mom, my mom. I know I've said that I attribute many things to my mom, but she did actually say this. She said you've got to have a Beatles. You've got to. That's the law. That's the law. Absolutely. I mean, and that's a, that's a whole nother podcast. Me and <laughs> the Beatles, isn't it? It is. But what I, I I will also say, I've got to offer this to you as well. You don't have to leave it in. But um, I also got a letter from uh, Sir Patrick Moore because in 2011. Uh, my mate Paul Abel uh, uh, knew Patrick and I got invited to Patrick's house and we spent the day there looking at his telescopes he had little bottles of gin knocking about on on every floor that you could help yourself to and uh, we had a lovely chat with him and then I went home and he sent me a letter saying thanks very much for coming to my house so I had to mention that on a a podcast about letters it would have been remiss for me not to that is a great letter um, but I was hoping it would be because he was the games master and that you had written to him about how you needed the cheat score for Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. No, but I mean, the telescope thing was way better. Also xylophones, that was his oh, thing, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Like, yeah. Like, people were polymaths back in the day. Now people stay in their lanes. People were games masters. They were xylophonists. They were looking at the stars. Anything was available to you. Uh, kids these days, they don't know they're born. It has been a total pleasure to talk to you, Sean. I could talk to you all day and all night, no doubt. Uh, well, to 11, when we both have to go to bed. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a genuine pleasure and a privilege. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends, telling them all about this podcast? You could also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.